Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hey host, before we jump into today's episode, I have to tell you about Level Up Your Listing Summit coming to Scottsdale, Arizona, February 27th, 28th, and March 1st in 2023. This is the in-person all-women's summit that Tatiana Taylor-Tate and I are planning for over 350 new, curious, and experienced hosts and real estate investors. It's a short-term rental conference that practices the values that we as hosts always preach, design, hospitality, and guest experience. Every touchpoint of the Level Up Your Listing Summit is designed with you in mind. Get ready to learn, connect, and be inspired at this three-day women's event. Come as you are and leave as a more confident, knowledgeable, and motivated version of yourself, connecting with 350 new hosting besties. We've gathered the powerhouses of the short-term rental industry and invited top brands in hospitality to share how they leveled up their listings so you can do the same with yours. Because we're not just regular hosts, we are super hosts. Prices go up every few weeks, and so you want to grab yours while it's at the current price before they jump up again. You can purchase your ticket at levelupyourlistingsummit.com. I will also drop that link in the show notes, and I will see you in Scottsdale. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. And this week, I am so excited to have Michael Elefante on the podcast. Michael is a real estate investor, content creator, and entrepreneur. He and his wife became financially free at age 27, just one year after they started investing in short-term rentals. Two and a half years later, they have scaled to six STRs that generate over $80,000 per month and are cash flowing forty dollars to $50,000 per month. He is the founder of Airbnb Investor Academy, which has generated $1 million in sales. Once Michael and his wife became financially free, they quit their nine to fives and traveled in a camper van for 12 months before settling down in South Carolina. They also just welcomed their first baby girl this October. Across TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, Michael has around a million followers in the short-term rental niche. Michael preaches that anyone, regardless of age or current position in life, can achieve financial freedom in the next one to two years. And today, we are having him on to talk about how this is possible. How do people achieve financial freedom in just one to two years? Without further ado, I give you Michael Elefante. Michael, do you want to jump in and introduce yourself and tell us all your story of how you got started in the world of short-term rentals? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, my wife, Jill, and I live in South Carolina. Um, we got started about three years ago in short-term rentals. We were both in sales jobs or careers that we didn't particularly enjoy. So started doing a bunch of homework uh, and reading, podcasting, YouTubing, and became obsessed with the overarching theme of financial freedom, which a lot of those roads lead to or uh, partake in real estate. So 
after evaluating a bunch of different options, we finally just dove into short-term rentals. I just like the cash flow mm-hmm. aspect of it, the high cash flow uh, potential with STR. So ultimately got our first property, fell in love with it, quickly found different ways to scale <laughs> through a variety of methods. Um, and then fast forward to today, um, we are financially free. We have six properties that do over 80000 a month on Airbnb and Verbo. Um, I also own a property management company. We're up to about 75 or 80 today. Um, all short, all vacation rentals. And then I also um, am a co-owner in a design business or studio for short-term rentals to help people maximize ROI on their properties, uh, among other initiatives. Um, And I do a lot of social media content um, and help educate people through online coaching um, for, again, short-term rentals, but helping them basically stand up their first, second, third, fourth, and beyond property and be as profitable as possible. So that's a quick background on me. And you forgot the most important part. You're yeah, also a new dad. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a new dad. So uh, I probably forgot because I'm a little delirious. <laughs> Sleep depri- deprivation is a real thing. Yes. But yeah, I have a uh, seven and a half week old baby girl. Oh. Everything is going wonderful so far. She definitely stole our hearts. So, um, but it's, uh, it's really awesome to have been in the world of real estate and become financially free, kind of take, uh, take uh, the bull by the horns in life. And now we have all the time to be at home with our daughter and future kids. So it's kind of what it's all about for us is the time freedom and doing what you want with your time that makes you happy to live a fulfilling life. So that's so incredible. And I actually resonate with that quite a bit. I have two young kids myself. One will be two next week and I can't handle it. Um, And then I have an eight month old. And that was one piece of the story that I had my short-term rental business established before having kids. And I just, same as you, like I liked the cash flow. I liked the freedom it gave me. And then I think it was when I became a mom that I realized like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing that I built this and had this all in place before having kids. Because I cannot imagine, like you said, the sleep deprivation and then having to wake up for work the next morning. I don't know how people do it. So yeah, definitely for anyone out there considering having a family, if you're still younger, get these pieces in place right now. Um, Michael, there's something also very interesting about your story. You are probably the first person I've talked to who set out to be a professional career short-term rental host. Most people I talk to fall into one property, they were passed down one, or they, you know, started managing something for their parents, had an opportunity to co-host something, and then realized the profitability and went all in. You went backwards. You wanted something that would bring you a lot of cash flow, dove into the world of podcasts, YouTube, and then found this industry. So how was that having no experience in this industry, but just trusting that it was going to pay off for you? Yeah, I think um, it really just came down to strip the emotion out of it for me. I was just I just couldn't believe that the numbers were accurate. And I was like, if you were really making this much money in short-term rentals, like, this is nuts. So I just started to do basic math, created a basic uh, investment analysis template, started punching in numbers, daily rates, occupancy, what I thought the expenses would be each month. And then I'd be like, okay, low, medium, high forecast. I'm like, this is nuts. So that was really the aha moment for me. And I think I was so fed up with not enjoying my day-to-day at my current job that I was willing to take that risk. I wish I got started earlier, but I think I just like a lot of people needed to be pushed towards the edge a little bit and just to be willing to take that jump, um, both feet in. Um, But that was the initial, you know, feeling. And then after the first one, we saw the bookings come in. And I always tell people that's not financial advice, but it's just what we did. My wife and I were all in and we're like, we see a path to quitting our jobs very quickly. So we liquidated our retirement accounts, got our second property. Um, Then COVID hit. So it kind of threw a wrench into things. We pivoted. 
and just continued on with short-term rentals. Um, but yeah, never looked back after that. So I want to hear about your experience hosting through COVID because I've been hosting for five years already. I had a good solid two, two and a half years under my belt before COVID hit. And so I, you know, when the bookings got canceled, I was not nervous. I was like, this is a blip. I know we'll come back. You were fresh into it. So how was that? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I had some reserves just in case of a worst case scenario. I never thought like a COVID would happen to the travel or hospitality industry just in general. But um, initially, yeah, we were stuck with the cancellations and the pol- cancellation policy overrides by Airbnb. I think we had 30 or 40 grand of cancellations in five days. Oh so that was kind of, you know, a gut punch. But um, I didn't know how long it would last, but I was like, there's no way this is going to last forever. So in my opinion was, let's figure out a way to at least, you know, be even if not cash flow positive. And we were in Nashville for our first two rentals. So that city was kind of shut down for the better half of, you know, 2020. Um, but we did see a big shift in travel to rural markets um, once things kind of stabilized but with COVID and people were like, okay, I still want to travel, but I just want to be alone or we're just with close family. So then we pivoted to the Gatlinburg, Smoky Mountain areas of Tennessee, um, and it just exploded there. And then travel came back to Nashville eventually. It actually played in our favor. Maybe you can attest to this, but a lot of people dump short-term rentals or turn them long-term rentals in the meantime. So now that travel's come back in full force, we're one of the rentals that was still there and held on, stacked reviews, and now we're at top of Airbnb search, and it's just they're just raking money in. So it's been we're thankful that we held on and kind of weathered the storm there. Yeah, I experienced something similar. So all my listings are in Big Bear, which is a ski resort market in Southern California, and I think specifically those kind of areas, you know, Gatlinburg, Smoky Mountains, Big Bear, uh, Poconos, all of those did incredible because people couldn't fly anywhere and they just wanted to drive somewhere somewhat close. So if you were able to hang on for those three, four months through lockdowns and cancellations, it was just the biggest explosion ever after that. Uh, I want to dive into now how you actually scaled it up. So actually, let's, let's start from the beginning before scaling. How did you guys get into the first property? You both had corporate jobs, so I'm assuming you had saved up a little bit you know, what kind of loans and everything did you get? And then how did you pivot that into everything it is today? Yeah. So honestly, I wish I started sooner either by partnering or doing rental arbitrage. But at first I was like, I'm so keen on just buying. So I had saved up just from some commissions at work and really focused on my job. Uh, and my wife did as well. Um, so we saved up for the first one. We just did a conventional home loan uh, for an investment property and we did 15% down. Um, Did you purchase second, this as a second home or as an investment property? It was an investment. Yeah, it was okay. an investment loan. Um, it, what, because we lived in Nashville, we could not leverage the second home loan uh, because we were within that 50 mile radius. However, for our third property, we did leverage a second home loan, okay. um, which I always recommend to people. If you have any intent to use it at all, take advantage of that. There's no better loan product and you get to leverage a bit more. Um, and then I actually sold my truck for to furnish the first one because, again, I was a little bit young and novice and I realized, oh my gosh, how much does it really take to furnish a full four bedroom property with the <laughs> rooftop, patio and all this stuff and trying to appeal to people in Nashville or traveling to Nashville. So I sold my truck and to have enough money to furnish it. Um, and then again, that second one, we were all in and we, we basically liquidated our retirement accounts uh, to, oh to fund that purchase. Gosh. So yeah, it was pretty wild, wild few months there. Well, I think that that paid off like we just touched on with COVID and you said, you know, there was probably a lot of people at that time who got nervous and switched to long-term rentals. I think having so much on the line probably made you like, 
no, this is it. This is, we're doing short-term rental. This is the strategy. We went all in and this needs to pay off. I wonder if like, you know, that must've been scary, but that that motivated you to get through it. Um, that's a big yeah, leap, yeah. but yeah. I think I'm a little bit more of an optimist too, though. Cause I was, I was so confident that I, mean, I thought the whole COVID thing would not have lasted as long as it did, but um, I'm glad we held on, of course, yeah. but you just kind of have to pivot and make sure, you know, you, you strategically pivot on your strategy and who you're, who you're renting to or trying to cater towards, um, during times like that. So at least in the city, we were able to cater to maybe travel nurses or to work professionals who were still traveling, but maybe just longer stays. So we just had to kind of adjust our prices to match um, what we could get there. I'd also love to know what your thought process was between the first one in Nashville and then the second one, remind me, where was that? Gatlinburg? The second one was in Nashville too, but the third and fourth one were both in Gatlinburg. Okay. What made you switch up the markets at that point? Did you feel like you just wanted to diversify or were there issues with Nashville that made you want to leave there? Yeah. I mean, COVID was a big motivator because we saw the travel pivot to the mountains. Um, Also taking advantage of the second home loan, we could afford more house with what we had for that third property. Okay. Um, And it being more than 50 miles away from a primary. Um, So that was a big motivator. Um, And I was actually looking at Gatlinburg. It was toying between Gatlinburg and Nashville initially. So I was familiar with the market, Uh, but that's kind of what made us make that move um, was the second home loan and the amount of travel um, demand that had shifted to uh, those rural markets. Okay. And throughout all of this, when did you officially quit your jobs? How many properties deep were you when you made the leap to leave the comfortable W-2 income? Yeah. So I think we officially became financially free after 11 or 12 months. That was the first month where we had enough cash flow that could easily pay for all our living expenses and our lifestyle. And that was nuts. So then we didn't quit our jobs till about 16 months after. We had acquired and stood up our fourth property, which we partnered with somebody on. Okay. Um, and actually funded our half through a refinance on our primary residence. We pulled cash out. So um, we've done a couple creative um, things there to leverage current equity to acquire more property. But it was 16 months after our first investment that we quit our jobs. And we actually left our home, rented it out long term and traveled in a camper van for a year across the country, managing our properties from our phone. So it's been a pretty crazy uh, last couple of years. Oh, my gosh. So what a cool story. So. Okay, you just led up to my next question perfectly, because I want to get into some of this more creative financing stuff with you. Um, And I don't know if you're, you know, a lender, or you do mortgages, or if this is your area of expertise, but I just would love to know from your perspective, having done this process more than a few times, once you leave that W-2 job, how are you getting approved for these loans? And what is that? What's that process looking looking like to get money to keep growing? Yeah. So it just depends on the situation. I mean, most of the time, if you are going to be self-employed or just a real estate investor, they're going to, lenders are going to want to see two years of tax returns that can support um, the underwriting of the deal. But I pivoted to um, DSCR loans, which are debt service coverage ratio loans. For those that don't know what that is, that is essentially looking at the property's ability to service the debt each month, the, in- the projected rental income, instead of your income and DTI to service the debt. Um, so they just want a credit score from you that's decent and then proof of funds. But other than that, they're going to underwrite the deal based on that subject property itself and its ability to pay the loan each month. So are there any pitfalls to a loan like this? Higher interest rates or uh, do you have to have a higher down payment, anything like that to be aware of? Yeah. And no, it's funny is that they change honestly month to month, if not quarter to quarter, the different types of programs and their exceptions. But um 
most of them are going to want you to have some type of real estate investing experience. So that's the tough part for people who are, if it's your first time ever investing on a property, um, they may want you to have two years of long-term rental investor experience or one full year of short-term rental investment and operating experience. Other lenders will want you to basically have a written, signed, or notarized letter from a property management company saying, hey, they're going to professionally manage it for me. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different nuances to it. Interest rates are typically a little bit higher with DSCR loans, and most of them also have a prepayment penalty ranging from three to five years. Um, So just be aware of that. Um, It's definitely not the loan I would first consider. I would definitely recommend maxing out conventional loans and and kind of uh, exhausting all other options before pivoting, but it's an amazing product to uh, allow you to be able to continue to scale um, if you've already exhausted all those other options. So let's get back on the topic of scaling. How So at this point we left off, you had the two in Nashville and then the two in Gatlinburg. What happened next? Yeah, so what happened next was we traveled in a camper van for a year, and after about seven months on the road, we were gearing up for our next investment. Um, I was analyzing properties from across the country and found one I really liked in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, never been before. Um, And uh, we had, let's see, we were in the process of doing several cash out refinances. But at this point in time, we just had a bunch of cash flow saved up and some other business income saved up for the down payment. Um, And then we were going to plan to do a big rehab on that. And then the fourth property, excuse me, the sixth property, we had just finished three cash out refis. Um, the two Gatlinburg properties, we actually did some rehab on. One was pretty extensive, so we took the value of that property up. Um, but the three cash outs, just with the real estate market doing what it was doing and lower interest rates, we were like, we might as well take advantage of this. And we pulled out like $750,000 out of these three properties oh to basically fund those two projects, okay. um, which were m- more upscale homes in South Florida and Fort Lauderdale. Um, and it also helped pay for our down payment on our new primary residence, too. So it's, been, it's pretty wild to see it come full circle probably a lot faster than it has for people in the past couple of decades, just with the, what the real estate market has done recently. Yeah. Um, but with the lower interest rates, I was like, they're probably not going to stay this low forever and might as well tap into that equity and continue to scale. How are you feeling about the higher interest rates right now? You know, I think it's going to present opportunity. I mean, I think the Fed's looking to kind of suppress um, the growth in the, in the housing market. Um, and also, I don't know if they're attempting to completely crash the economy or not, but um, it kind of just ebbs and flows with time. Um, I think what ha- tends to happen with higher interest rates, it's going to become a little bit more of a buyer's market, but buyers are also going to be timid because they don't want to pay a higher interest rate. So I think prices may level out or come down a little bit temporarily, um, but I'd rather lock in a better deal today than refinance at a lower rate in the future than overpay for a property today I'm, um, at a lower interest rate. I'm so with you. I think that the fear around the interest rate is my mindset is totally different about it. It's like, this is great. Now you can negotiate a lower price. And then yeah. if interest rates drop next year, refi. And if they don't drop next year, you'll be happy you locked it in when you did. I'm with you 100%. Um, okay, so with your with the way that you guys scaled, so at this point, you're also in Fort Lauderdale, you're in three different locations. Did you run into any issues with managing in that many locations? Was it hard to find cleaners? If you had issues, you had multiple cleaners you were working with, multiple handymen. Uh, I guess I want to ask, like, going back, would you have done things differently? Would you have preferred to stay in one location for the scalability? Or do you feel like you were able able to overcome that while expanding the locations you were in? 
Yeah, I think once you have the process down, you can kind of rinse and repeat and replicate in any market. Um, you do have a point, though, by deploying the same team or teams in a single market um, that can make it easier when acquiring and setting up a new house. But once you do interview and have cleaners and handymen at a new property in a new location, everything else remains about the same. Um, so it wasn't too difficult, I found. I think earlier on, I did not adopt a lot of the technology that allows hosts to, to scale at scale, or excuse me, uh, manage at scale with properties like property management software, dynamic pricing, uh, turnover BNB, resort cleaning, those types of tools um, that automate most of the day-to-day. -day. I think I was naive to thinking, oh, I'll just kind of do everything on my own. And um, But yeah, I wish I did. That. Like Those tools enable you to uh, to grow and scale in different markets, I think. I'm totally with you. That's been my big learning curve this year is finally adopting a lot of those automations. I was very bootstrapped and just like wanted to do it all myself. And that's been like my big 2022 realization is how much these tools out there can actually help you. Uh, so what does your portfolio look like now? So we currently just have the six properties, um, but I've been really focused on some of these other business, business initiatives. So yeah, the six properties, um, and I'm, we're actually looking to acquire another one to two properties here in the next six to 10 months, um, but being a little bit more strategic and opportunistic on what we actually purchase. So just making sure the numbers are, are good um, and the projections are tight. Um, but outside of that, it's just focused on building the property management company and some of these others that I'm involved in. Um, and it kind of helps diversify the income as well, but also generating income and other sources will basically allow us to further invest in real estate too. Sure. So why did, it sounds like your uh, ownership portfolio slowed down a little bit after the move to Fort Lauderdale. What was the reason for that? Just pivoting your business goals into the design company and the management, or was there something specific about the real estate market that made you want to slow down in ownership? Yeah, well, I think initially it was that uh, we dumped in probably, I want to say, five to $650,000 into Fort Lauderdale between a huge renovation on one property okay. and a down payment on a really expensive property and furniture on another. Um, and then beyond that, we also settled into our primary house. So we had the down payment closing costs here. Um, and then we had to get out of our camper van and buy two new vehicles. So there was a lot of expenses happening at once. Okay. Um, so for, and then my wife was pregnant, so we were gearing up for the baby. So a lot of things were happening. It's not that we weren't eager to, you know, buy five more properties this year, but I think we had some other life events that enabled, like, kind of forced us just to slow down a little bit. Not necessarily pump the brakes, but kind of just slow down. And um, again, now we're kind of gearing up to to make some purchases. I actually put an offer on a place last week, and we ended up losing on it. Mm. Um, it's a great offer, so I'm not sure how we lost, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually really happy to hear you touch on this because I think a lot of people in this industry, especially if you're big on social media, there is a lot of pressure to show that you're acquiring a new property every single month. And I always like to think that the whole reason we got into this was for the time freedom and financial freedom. And if you don't feel like you can slow down or pause a little bit when you're having a freaking baby and moving into your primary residence, you know, and living your life, then what is, what's the point? What's this all for? So I'm actually encouraged to hear that um, even someone who's still managed to grow so much in with other businesses in the last year, like you recognize that you needed to slow down a little bit in this capacity. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's making you like, I, I guess, like, what are your goals upcoming? Do you, is ownership the ultimate end game for you? Or are you really excited to grow the management business and the design business right now? I think all of the above. I really like 
owning real estate, but I actually really also like the entrepreneurial aspect of starting and growing businesses too. Uh, just because you can grow equity within businesses, just like you can in real estate, you can build substantial cash flow through businesses, just like real estate. So they're just different avenues to grow wealth um, and create value for other people in the marketplace. Um, so I'm really kind of focused on all of them. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me, uh, which has been a struggle this year so far, is as a bunch of these different areas of my life have grown, uh, it's become a little bit harder to manage my own time, which is the whole reason I got into real estate in the first place. So I think consolidating some areas and maybe hiring help where needed, um, because at the end of the day, I do like the time freedom aspect. And the whole point is to spend more time with my wife and my daughter uh, in the first place. But I mean, as far as the focus, it's it's kind of evenly spread between the four different companies uh, and then acquiring additional properties. But again, just thoughtfully, I'm not going to, I don't plan to scale 50 properties a year or anything crazy like that. But if I could add you know, maybe one to three properties per year at a minimum that add an additional ten to twenty thousand dollars of cash flow. That would be ideal, just to kind of slowly build, 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 build. I think one thing too is that when people get started in short-term rentals, they think that scaling in this industry means buying new properties like every month or every year. And I think something huge is that that's not what scaling or growth has to look like. In your case, you had six properties that were basically being automated. Not, I mean, we know that this is not a passive industry, but I'm sure you made it as close to passive income as you could have. And that allowed you the flexibility to start growing a management company and some other side businesses. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like what was the move of, um, you know, we've got these properties that are working for us. I feel creatively pulled to try some other things out. What was that like? And how did you trust that you'd be able to time manage all these new ventures? Yeah. So I mean, all the software automation tools and technology has really helped streamline the operation side of the business. And then the actual management company came about because somebody, somebody that I taught how to do short-term rentals, they purchased the course I had provided and passed some coaching. Um, he had scaled the six properties very quickly, just like I had. And then it was actually his idea to start the property management. He was co-hosting for a few neighbors in the North Carolina mountains. Um, and egged me on a little bit. And I said, yeah, it sounds great. Like, let me join. I had never anticipated to to own a property management company just because of the fact I was always encouraging people to self-manage because you could save so much money and, and scale. Um, but I think the opportunity is there because there are people who do not want to self-manage regardless of the time commitment. Yeah. Um, but there are so many bad property managers out there or legacy PMs that have not adopted technology and dynamic pricing and just like how to run an efficient business a little bit leaner. You know, you don't have to have massive office space and hand out keys to people near property. So um, we just saw an opportunity to hopefully get people off property managers that were uh, over overcharging and under delivering and then boosting their revenue so much where our services basically seem like they're free for them. Um, so that's ultimately what we did. And ever since we started, we've almost been growing too quick for our own good. We kind of have to slow down a little bit to make sure all our operations are tight for the growth that we see coming in the next couple of years. Um, but we've done an excellent job for our homeowners um, and it's also very fruitful for us as well. And all we're doing is deploying the same exact strategies that enabled us to be successful in the first place. Are you, uh, is this management company national or specific to North Carolina? Yep, we're we're nationwide. I would say 85% of our properties are in the Southeast of so Tennessee, North Carolina, all the way down to Florida. Okay. Uh, we do have several properties in the Northeast. Um, we have some properties in Texas, Arizona, Seattle, Washington, kind of spread out throughout the country. So we are nationwide and we'll continue to scale um, nationwide as well. But the bulk of them had started in the Southeast. Are you running into any 
you know, since you're saying that you're basically deploying all the same tactics that you used on your personal properties, making it work for these ones, have you had any owners see what you're doing and then decide to just take that and leave and self-manage? Or do you find that the ones who come and hire you really, really don't want to be involved? They want to outsource that completely and they're not going to leave? Yeah, more so the the latter. Either they're currently or either they're a new investor or they have some people are just uh, very tied to their job. It's not something they're looking to leave or they're a high income earner, but they're spending 60 hours a week working and they just want to plant their money and create an income source that works while they sleep completely. Um, and then we have other people that are already outsourcing to a PM that just are frustrated and want somebody to do it more efficiently and make and boost their revenue further. Um, we don't have a ton of people that want to return and self-manage. Uh, sorry, my tongue's scratching. Her neck. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but yeah, we don't have so much of the other, but when we interview people, we do encourage people like, Hey, if you have the time to self-manage, we're not going to push you to work with us. Like if you want to self-manage, we totally encourage that. That's how we got started in the first place. However, you know, if it's a good fit and you want to outsource completely, this is how it works. And this is what we charge, so on and so forth. So I want to finish this episode on this. Since you said that you go in and you basically provide so much more revenue for these owners that your costs basically become the cost of paying for you to manage basically becomes free. Give us some like juicy hacks or some juicy tidbits that you are doing to boost this revenue so highly that it pays for your role. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to sound a lot simpler <laughs> than, than it is, but um, going on AirDNA and finding comps and what, and what works in a specific market, um, what amenities people need to provide, what themes they have, and then we can make those suggestions to property owners. But on the back end, on the management side, it's really leveraging dynamic pricing and data, um, not just historical data through AirDNA, but looking at future-looking data through Price Labs or Wheelhouse building comp sets so you know exactly what your top five competitors in your neighborhood are charging every single day in the next 60, 90, or even 365 days looking in the future. And then looking at insights on on Airbnb and Verbo and figuring out what the booking lead time is, all to say that we just have to come up with the right pricing strategy that allows us to make sure we're not uh, missing extra dollars on the busy nights. And then we're also not missing reservations because we're $25 a night too high. Yeah. So we just make those simple tweaks that allow us to boost occupancy and ultimately drastically boost revenue and cash flow for homeowners. And you have a team that's doing this all day. I cannot imagine you're the one sitting there comparing no, God, five God, properties. No. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. We have since scaled, I think we have I want to say eight or nine full-time employees. I think it's nine full-time employees. Oh my gosh. And then uh, we just hired our first VA to help with some of like the day-to-day guest communication. We'll probably expand on the VA just so we can focus more on the strategic side of things and then let them handle the the guest, like the day-to-day stuff, you know. Full-time employees, they're getting benefits and everything from you. Yeah, yeah, we have full-time employees. Okay, I know I said that we were going to finish on the last question, but I have to ask how this is because I have this insane fear of being a boss. Like it's one thing to have a freelance assistant. I am just terrified. I don't know what is my hangup, but the HR issues that come into play and just knowing that, gosh, if you've got like a bad month in the business, you still owe them payroll. What has this been like for nine people? That's incredible. Yeah, I think it really just comes down to understanding the books and your numbers and you're right. I mean, short-term rentals can be a cyclical business. So you have to make sure you have enough in the bank to support X amount of months of payroll and other expenses and be able to weather any type of storm or recession. So we just have to be thoughtful uh, as a growing business that if you know we were to hit high tides that 
um, it wouldn't wipe us out completely because that happens to a lot of companies when they're not prepared for worst case scenarios. But it's really just cash management, cash flow management, um, and making sure that, all right, and also diversifying where we rent to as well, right? Because if we had a bunch of properties that were in Florida and they all got hit by a hurricane, for example, and now we lose one to two months worth of rent, we still have payroll to hit, right? Yeah. So I think diversifying the markets that we invest in is actually a strategic thing to do. And what a lot of PMs that are super local, one event could be very damaging to their business. So um, just some of those things, really just cash management um, and and the diversification of where we, where we manage is helpful. What do you look for when you're hiring someone or what would be a determining factor to fire someone? I don't know if you've had to fire a full-time employee yet. I hope not. <laughs> No, I don't think we've had to fire. We did split ways with someone who kind of came on as, uh, you know, a marketing partner, if you will. That was actually more of a merger that just kind of didn't pan out um, for better or worse, but we just split ways. But we've had everyone stay on. Um, we're very, like, low-key, uh, super nice and goofy people that run the business, my business partner, Elliot, and I. So uh, we want to make sure everyone is challenged each day, but also happy, motivated, and comfortable in what they're doing, and also doesn't feel stagnant because as we grow, we want them to grow. And if they choose to continue to work with us, um, make sure that they evolve into roles that, you know, best suit their strengths and what they'd like to do. Uh, but it's very different perspective on being on managing employees than being employee in the past. Yeah. So I like to, you know, relish on some of my own past experiences and what would be attractive um, for people and then just hear them out. Um, I'm definitely like far from a dictating boss. I just like, I want people to have the freedom to to make decisions, make mistakes. And I think we'll be a better company for it. I think I always think about, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg, who literally was a college dropout and never had any work experience and then ended up managing this huge company. So I think it's really great that you actually, you know, you say that you wish you had started earlier in the short-term rental industry. I think everything ha as cheesy as this sounds, I think it all happened for a reason, like staying at that W2 job gave you that real life work experience as an employee. I'm sure that your employees now can see that you came from that side and you're actually a good boss. So I think this is such an incredible story. Again, you're probably the first person I've talked to who intentionally decided to be a short-term rental host. Everyone I know kind of fell into it by accident. But I think that's so cool that you just really educated yourself with no experience and turned it into all of this. Um, are there any parting thoughts you want to give us? You've already been so generous with just your knowledge and sharing your story, but is there anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I think two things. One is what enabled me to kind of eventually take the leap. I was always very risk averse when it comes to investments, but I think under the mindset of assessing what is truly risky in life. Um, and I was always under the assumption that, hey, I have this nice, safe, secure job. Um, it's really risky to invest, but I would rather risk every dollar I have on investments um, that are calculated, at least that I think are calculated versus risking working the rest of my life, doing a job that I may have no passion to do, and then getting to the end and realize, wow, I really regret all of that. I didn't have enough time to spend with my wife, my kids, my family. So that's number one. Um, it'll really change the way you think and what you feel is risky. And then number two is just take action. It sounds really simple, but you're, you could be the person in a group of friends that knows everything about real estate, studied it for 10 years, but doesn't have a single investment to show for it. I'd rather be the person who doesn't know much and has the one investment, whether it's a failure or a success. So I learned from it. And as long as you learn from it in a good way, you can continue to grow. But you have to take that first step. You have to take action to get started. 
Okay, I have chills. Those were so good. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Michael, thank you so much. I am so excited that I had the chance to have you on today. And just again, thank you so much for sharing all that info with us. And um, say hello to your precious baby Kennedy for me. Uh, She's so adorable. And I'm just so happy for you and your growing family. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, we need to decide if this guest deserves a refund for the tragedy that they experienced trying to get to this Airbnb. So here we go. A host in a Facebook group posted, Hey guys, I need thoughts on what to do. This is my current guest. They're supposed to stay for five nights. My cancellation policy is strict. Do I refund or not? This was the message that they received from their guest. Hi, we tried to follow the 194 signs in the dark, but the road was too scary. We're getting a hotel tonight and trying again to find it in the morning. They sent that at 11.17 p.m. And the host replied at 12.56 a.m. and said, Okay, I'll be more than glad to help any way I can. Just let me know. I apologize about that. And at 9.32 p.m. the next day... So this was 12.56, so around 1 a.m., so 9.30 that following night, they said, hey, we tried it, we came, and the site was beautiful, but too cold to stay there. I'd like to cancel the rest of my trip if possible because of weather. We can't get there easily with our car, and the weather is just too cold to stay there. I hope you understand. Um, no, I don't understand. Why did you book a winter destination if you didn't want to be in the cold. Are these people delusional? And how how you know that this is all total bullshit is because they said, oh, we can't stay at the Airbnb, so we're going to get a hotel. I'm assuming the hotel is in the same area. Is it not cold where the hotel's located, but it is cold where the Airbnb is located? The weather is the same. I'm so tired of these entitled guests. You are the Airbnb hole. And what is this snarky? We tried to follow the 194 signs in the dark, but the road was too scary. Oh my gosh. Then why are you checking in at 11.15 p.m. if you know that you're going to have issues driving in the dark? If you're a little scary cat and you can't handle the road, then... I don't know, get there earlier. How is this the host's problem? But you know what? The host screwed up here because why is the host's response... Okay, I'll be more than glad to help any way I can. Just let me know. I apologize about that. Why are you apologizing? What did you do wrong? You didn't, you didn't make the weather bad. You didn't put them in a car that they can't drive. You didn't make it so they're scared of the dark and they don't like the cold. You didn't make them book a place in the cold when they don't want to stay in the cold. What is the host apologizing for? We all need to do a better job of, yes, of course, we have to empathize with guests when we do drop the ball. But when it is not our fault and guests are just complaining and want a refund for no reason, we cannot be apologetic about it. I don't care everything that they've told you in in business school and hospitality and how to that the customer is always right. No, no. There's a certain point where us hosts have to put our foot down and not apologize for things that are not our fault. And in this case, the, the guest is the Airbnb hole. I cannot even imagine I cannot even imagine the entitlement it takes to block someone's calendar for five days and then show up and say you're too cold to stay there and you want a refund. How dare they? I cannot even imagine that entitlement. So they're the Airbnb hole, but I'm I'm just bummed that this host even 
entertain the idea at all by apologizing. They did nothing wrong. I don't know how this ended. I was hoping to see that in the Facebook comments they would give an update or something. This post was about a week old when I found it. They never gave an update, so I don't know how it ended, but this guest is the Airbnb hole, and if the host did refund them in any way, unfortunately, they are too. We gotta be better, you guys. We gotta be more confident as hosts. When things are not our fault, we cannot take that burden on. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!